0: so much for a very warm welcome you don't know what a privilege it is for me to be back here pastor dan where are you thank you so much for extending an invitation for me to come back here this is insane <laughs> it's beautiful once again mike and larry and the whole crew outdid themselves didn't they man alive this is just amazing and i remember when this was uh a pumpkin patch many years ago and now look at it. Wow, just amazing. We, uh, we uh, left Cedar Home two years ago in the capable hands of Pastor Dan and the leadership and uh, have seen great things happen here. So proud of the way God's been working here. Um, we uh, took a break for a little while and then we got a call from Oso Community Chapel out in Oso, and you all know the story of the slide out there. Their past, and, and just after the slide, their pastor um, left the church. And, uh, and they called us and uh, said, hey, if you're not doing anything, would you like to be interim pastor for a few months? And I said, sure. And that was about a year, almost a year and a half ago now. And... <laughs> Anyway, uh, it's been a delight to be out at Oso Community Chapel. And tonight we have some interviews for their potential permanent full-time pastor. So you might pray for the search committee out at Oso. They've been they've had hard times, and so I'm hoping I'm hoping they get a, just a great, great pastor. And as I said, we're just thrilled to be here, and uh, um, we'll probably be out there for a couple more months. Having said that. Pastor Dan graciously uh, shared with Debbie and I that if uh, we felt led of God to come back here and support and attend and serve um, after OSO, that we were welcome to do that. And unless God calls us to another interim uh, or some other ministry, uh, I get to hang out with you guys a little bit. So. Very, very, very thankful for that. We love you so much. And uh, and just thanks for, for everything. Um, today I'm going to talk about the importance of unity. And so as we step into the scriptures, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, the principal text is only going to be one verse, but we're going to use some of the surrounding verses to support that text, and um, Ephesians 4, verse 3 is going to be kind of our our starting point, and so if you could turn there, and uh, I'm going to read that verse, and then we'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll get into God's Word, and uh, I don't see a clock anywhere, is there one? Oh, okay, I was looking at the wall, and it's down there, so I was hoping there wasn't a clock, but I guess there is. Uh... <laughs> All right. <laughs> Ephesians 4 verse 3 um, Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace Jesus Oh Lord Jesus you're so awesome that you would take sinners like us and see our lost condition and baptize us into yourself through the Holy Spirit to make us part of the body, your, your greater body, Jesus. How thankful we are. There aren't any words that we have to articulate. Just how thankful we are to be called and chosen and saved and washed and cleansed and glorified by your blood and by your righteousness. It's the gospel. It's all that we are. It's all that we have. We're so grateful, and we're grateful for this word that's so powerful, living, sharp, and penetrating, use this word today. Um, keep us remind uh, mindful of what our calling is to be unified, and uh, we just need to hear that over and over and over again. And so, just remind us through your word, Lord, and bless the teachers over next door in junior church and or whatever it's called now. <laughs> uh, just bless the bless them, and may these. These kids' hearts who are still pliable, just accept the love and the the, uh, leadership and lordship of Jesus. We love you, God. Thank you so much for being so gracious to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you've ever stood in line somewhere for what seems like forever, maybe somewhere like the post office or something like that, you will appreciate the following story that came out of the Associated Press News Service that I read and uh, anyway, it's interesting. So um, it was a group of post office customers who succeeded in uh, speeding up some slow moving service. One man said standing in the line at the post office was like watching grass grow, it was so slow. There were 26 patrons jammed into two lines and they realized they weren't getting enough attention so a 73 year old man organized the group in an uncommon show of unity, the 26 began shouting together, We want service. We want service. Two minutes later, another clerk ambled out and, without cracking a smile, said, Next. <laughs> well, the 26 thought, We're up to something here. We're on to something. So they said it again We want service. We want service. You guessed it. One more clerk appeared, and an amused customer summed up the situation like this. I got through that line in four minutes. I've never seen anything like it. <laughs> what a great display of what unity can do, huh? It can accomplish so much more than what we do alone. When, we, when we're together on something, exciting things happen. And uh, what a great picture of God's will for this church and for His church in its visible form and in its local form um, on this earth, God wants every true member of his universal church in Christ in its local form like Cedar home to unite like these people in the post office did and accomplish great things for his glory and yet unfortunately, we know it doesn't always work that way, does it we it doesn't i I hate to say it, but it, it doesn't always work that way the Highway of church history is littered with the head-on collisions of disunity, division, divisiveness, dissension, and disputes and disagreements, and great damage and destruction has uh, has taken place because of that. You know, division in the local church grieves the heart of God; it really does. And it ruins the testimony of the church to the watching world. And probably I'm talking to people right here, right now, who experienced, have experienced somewhere, someplace, division in the local church that you have attended. Because we're not immune from that. And uh, you've seen the fallout of that. And the tragedy of that. And that's why God put so much emphasis on church unity in the New Testament. When you start studying the subject, you realize just how much of the the New Testament talks about unity. And how important it is. Now, a couple things before we get into our text. Number one, it's okay not to agree on everything. Unity is different than uniformity. Uniformity is when everybody always agrees on everything all of the time. And that's more like a cult than it is like a church. But unity means that in spite of our differences, we're going to drive a stake in in the ground and move through church life together. Okay, So we're not talking about uniformity. We're talking about unity. We don't always have to disagree uh, to agree on everything. We can have differences of opinion on non-essential issues. And the other thing I want to say is this: I don't care um, when you talk about it, but unity is always appropriate to talk about in the local church. There's never a time when it's inappropriate to talk about unity because it's one of the top. Things that God talks about. And so um, regardless of, whether, of what condition the church is in, uh, we, it's appropriate to talk about unity, and especially after or during mountaintop experiences in the church. And Cedar Home is in a mountaintop experience right now. I mean, I'm looking out at this wonderful church family that Deb and I still love with all our hearts. Seen the growth and the leadership with Pastor Dan and the elders and the deacons and the way so many of you serve, and there is good unity. But we can never not talk about unity, especially during mountaintop experiences, because I think that's when the devil likes to sneak in and throw a sucker punch. Amen? Take us off guard. And so it's important for us to talk about unity today. And so the title of the message is the importance of unity. We're concentrating on Ephesians verse four, uh, chapter four, verse three. I want you to take three thoughts out of this verse today. Three thoughts out of Ephesians four, uh, verse three. Okay. First of all, and it's kind of obvious, but unity is a high priority with God. I've already said it, but it bears repeating. If, if unity was not a high priority of God, he wouldn't have talked about it here and so many other places in the New Testament. He tells the division-prone Corinthians, who always seem to be at each other's throats, he says, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Paul told the the church at Philippi in chapter 2, he said, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from my love, from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection or sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And Peter gets into the act farther down in the New Testament. And he says in this first letter, Finally, all of you. I mean, this is what he's closing with. And you always close with the most important thing. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Here in the book of Ephesians, where we're going to camp out today, the Apostle Paul mentions unity no less than 18 times, and most of it in the the last four chapters. That's a lot. And so unity is a high priority for God. Why? Number one, because God knows better than anyone else the danger of disunity and the damage it can do to a wonderful church like this and Many other wonderful churches. He knows how crafty Satan is to divide the fellowship. How easily we can be drawn into division and dissension. God knows how easily our sense of self gets drawn into a fight. I had that happen to me the other day. I can't remember what day it was, dear. It might have been when we were coming back from church, I hate to admit it. But we were pulling out of uh, Safeway onto Smoky Point Boulevard, and I guess I pulled out too slowly because there was a guy bearing down on me. He must have been going probably 45, 50 miles an hour, and the light was red. He really had to stop anyway, but he bore down on me, and I got in my turn lane, and as he passed me, he reached out with his hand and flipped me half the peace sign. Okay? You know what I'm talking about? You ever have anybody do that? And, uh, and I told Debbie, you know, if I was younger and not a Christian, he and I would be having a further discussion on the matter. And she looked at me and she says, well, you're not young. And you're a Christian. <laughs> so deal with it." And I said, "Yes, dear. Whatever you say, dear, right away, dear. And she was right. But you know, I, I drove away from that, and I thought two things. One, how quickly I got my back up. It just how f- like a flash fire, and I just prayed to the Lord, Lord, God, help me. Help me never, ever. To react like that I'm a blood-bought child of God I'm a spirit indwelt dwelt child of God but I was just surprised at how quickly my temper flared and God knows that what happens in the church and how we can get ourselves drawn into things so quickly and how immature we can act if we're not careful how brush fires can start so so quickly. You say, well, can it really happen in a church? Listen to Paul's words to two people in the book of Philippians. He says, I plead, Philippians chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, who were these people? Listen close. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. At one time, they were contending with Paul, together, unified, pointed in the same direction, and now something happened, and they're at each other's throats. Brothers and sisters, it can happen in a New York minute, can it? And we've got to be careful. You say, well... You're just talking to the choir, Mitch. I realize that you're great people, but we still carry around that principle of sin in our mortal flesh that's only going to be removed when we get our resurrection bodies. Hallelujah. But we still got that, don't we? And we're prone to that. Unity is also, and the church is also high priority with God because it's a reflection of His oneness. Look here in Ephesians 4, will you? Look what it says here in verse 4. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and in all and through all. What's the operative word there, class? One. And then all. You're right. One. But one. One, 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 one. Why is unity such a high priority for God? Because it's a reflection of his unity. What did Jesus say in the 10th chapter of John, the 30th verse? He said, I and my Father are one. And since there's perfect unity in the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, co-equal, co-eternal, but one, what did the, the Israelites say? Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Elohud. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And when we're one, that oneness of God reflects. Which takes us to the third reason why unity is so, such a high priority to God. It's a high priority God because the witness of the church before the watch of the witness of the church before the watching world is at stake it's at stake you know the watching world is is wonderful as this building is and it's so gorgeous and 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 wonderful but it, the witness of Christ to the world doesn't come first through buildings or budgets or programs it comes through our unity our unity think about jesus he's in the garden of gethsemane he's he's about to be arrested and then beaten to a pulp and flogged and ridiculed and mocked and then nailed to a cross to where he wasn't even recognizable as a human being for our sins and what did he choose to pray right before he was arrested and crucified john 17 20 through 23 tell us jesus says my prayer is not for them alone I pray also for all those who will believe, me, believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you love me. How's the world going to know that Jesus was sent and that God the Father loved him and that he loves us? By the way we act towards each other. By our unity. Because Jesus knew that church disunity and division and discord and dissension ruins the testimony of a wonderful church before a watching world. You know, the world looks at us, and if we're unified, they go, something's going on there. But if they see division, they think, well, how real can their God and their Christianity be? And then finally, unity is a high priority for God because he knows that a church filled with disagreement and division can't fellowship and function the way God intended This is supposed to be a weekly love in. I mean, Paul called them love feasts. Love feasts? I don't think of love when I think of a feast. How about you? But he called them love feasts. Wow. And we can't have a love feast if we're fighting. And, and, and disagreeing on non-essentials. And p- God wants us to operate on the optimum level as a church. And so unity is a high priority with God. Number two, <clears throat> that we see from Ephesians 4.3 here. <clears throat> it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The second point here out of this verse is, in the church, we do not create unity. We keep it. We don't create it. We maintain it. Now first of all, note it's a command here. Make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Or keep it. Um, It's not an option. This is not multiple choice. Okay? It's not a suggestion. And it's not always easy. Because... Those other people are not nearly as perfect as you and I are, are they? It can be difficult to get along with those other people, you know. But it's commanded. And I don't want to get heavy-handed here, but if we're not promoting unity, we're out of God's will. We are out of God's will. And I don't like being out of God's will for a lot of reasons. But we're to make every effort, that means be passionate about, be to, to be zealous to preserve, to give diligence to, to have a burning zeal for unity. But getting back to the original point here, we don't create our unity because unity is a, in a sense is all ready there the moment we got saved. The moment we got saved, all sorts of crazy, awesome, wonderful, indescribable, glorious things happened. We were baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. And that moment we were baptized into into the body of Christ through the Holy Spirit, we became closer to each other than even we are to our closest physical relatives. And that includes your husband or your wife or your kids or your parents and on. We became one with each other in Christ. Listen to 1 Corinthians 12. Verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. We're all drinking from the same cup. It's the Holy Spirit. We're God's church. We are one. I don't care how old or young or what our past has been or what our future is going to be. The moment we were saved, we became united with one another in Christ. And so our invisible unity is the grounds For our visible unity. A guy by the name of Paul Figpen says, division in our church is actually a lie. A sin against the truth. Because the truth is that we are indeed one. One family. One household of faith whose dividing walls of hostility have been torn down by Christ's sacrifice. When we see ourselves as divided, we're failing to see aright. We're ignoring and denying reality. Unity has been given to us already. The hardest work has already been accomplished through the cross. This means then that our responsibility is to live oneness out with right attitudes and put away any attitude that causes disunity in the recognition that is, it is a sin. And that takes us to our third and final point, which I'll probably spend the most time on here this morning. Because it deals with our attitudes. Because it's all about attitude under the power of the Holy Spirit. It's all about attitude. Okay. And that is this. Unity is a high priority with God. We don't create our unity, we maintain it. But the last observation here that I want to just yank out of this verse is that we, we are to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In the bond of peace. Would you be willing to say that with me together? In the bond of peace. You and I are responsible to keep the bond of peace real on a regular basis, in this case here at Cedar Home. Thank you for that amen. I'm teaching them how to amen out at Oso. They did not know how to do that. So one day I said, is it illegal out here to say amen? And they all laughed. And then they played a really cruel joke on me. Um, The next week or two, I was preaching, and I said something, and the whole place just in unison, amen. And I thought, all right, I'm doing a good job out here. Boy, are they lucky to have me. And uh, about two minutes later, same thing, amen, pastor. And I thought, hmm, you know. So it happened about three minutes later and I turned around and the person that controlled the PowerPoint (laughs) had been prompting them with this big black block letters (laughs) saying amen with a exclamation point I had been had big time and I thought just like Cedar home boy do I feel at home out here (laughs) and they really are Like Cedar Home, just down to earth, great sense of humor. Love the Lord. but it was funny. But um, I want to go to this third point here. The bond of peace. The bond of peace. We don't create unity, but we do have a part in keeping it, right? We have a part in keeping it. You individually have a part in keeping with it. First of all, let's get it straight. What's the bond of peace? We've already talked about it. It's our oneness in Christ it's the peace that we have with each other because we're saved in christ but it also extends out to our behavior it's the peace with each other in the body that we're to pursue right now romans 12 18 very clear if it is possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone with who people i like that's my version anyway if it is possible as far as it depends on you, live at peace with the people you like. No, with everyone. Really? Ouch. Are you sure that's what it means in the Greek, Mitch? Yeah, that's what it means. But we're to pursue unity in the bond of peace with each other. Now, we're given four ways to do that. and I want to just kind of go through these four ways, and then we'll pray together. Four ways to maintain or keep the unity of Spirit and the bond of peace. First of all, by seeking to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. I love to hear Pastor Dan pray. Because he's. T- I can tell he's in love with the gospel, can't you? I just love that. I'm in love with the gospel too. And uh, um, the gospel is our calling. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. How do you keep unity in the bond of peace? By living a life worthy of the calling that you and I have received as Christians. Our calling is such an awesome thing. Amen. It means we've been redeemed by Jesus We've been chosen and called and saved and justified and atoned for and forgiven of our sins, past, present, and future. We've been cleansed and made righteous and perfect in Christ. We're worthy in the sight through the imparted righteousness righteousness of Jesus. We're headed for glory amen and we are called to live up to that in daily living let it be what motivates us let it be what causes us to respond in obedience to God we're not just uh, acting out a bunch of rules we're responding to the calling God has given us in Christ and when we do that we're not going to be looking at all the picky uni things in other people Unity comes from pursuing this awesome calling that God has given us in Christ. Man, God has given me more and more of that all the time, and I'm so thankful. He who began a good work in you shall continue it on to the day of Christ Jesus. And isn't it wonderful to have your Christianity be the calling God has given you and not just some set of religious rules. Amen. Amen. Give glory to God on that one. But when we're pursuing our calling, we're not picking at each other. We're too busy glorying in what God's given us in Christ. Number two, we keep the bond of peace when we set our egos aside. Look at verse two four ways to set your ego aside. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient. Bearing with one another in love. You say, Pastor, can we just skip this one? No, we can't. We can't. You know what ego is, don't you? E-G-O, edging God out. That's what an ego is. Okay? We edge God out of our lives when we act selfishly or we we become resentful or towards someone else in the church. When we dig our proud heels into the ground when we're stubborn and hurtful towards each other? How do we keep from edging God out? How do we keep from letting our egos get in the way, and we all got one of those until we get our new resurrection body without sin? Amen. Pass the potatoes. I'm looking forward to that. All right. But four things. First of all, it says if you're going to deal with your ego and maintain unity, you've got to be completely humble. And it doesn't say humble. It says completely humble. Humility is essential for unity. It's the opposite of our pride, which almost always ends in some kind of disagreement or division. Because pride demands its own way. So often, you know, when you think about it, church, I can't do this at those, because they don't have one of these, so I haven't done this in two years. But uh, so often, division in the church isn't on some meaningful theological point, is it? It's not on some essential point of doctrine sometimes it's just because we get proud and stubborn we get hurt our feelings get hurt and our ego starts to get inflated and pretty soon we're at war just like euodia and like syntyche and 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 we were contending for christ but now our nose has been out of shape and so the answer to that is just humble ourselves I love what, what, what Dr. David Jeremiah says. He says, Humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. It's not thinking less of ourselves, it's thinking of ourselves and our rights less. That's how you get the ego out and keep unity. And Paul summarizes that in Philippians chapter 2. He says, Therefore, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather what? In humility. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you. To the interests of others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So through humility, we check our ego at the door. And it also says, be completely gentle. You know, gentleness has got a bad rap. Uh, it comes off sound like you're wishy washy, you're weak. But Jesus described himself as gentle, and he was not wishy washy. Or a week, ask the money changers in the temple if Jesus was wishy-washy. Or a week, read of the glory of Christ's return in the book of Revelation, see if he's wishy-washy. No, that's not what gentleness is. Gentleness was the word used of wild horses that were trained. It's the characteristic of a strong personality who doesn't let their strength control them. It doesn't use his strength in the improper way. It's a strength under the control of the Holy Spirit that's that's there to serve other people. You know, being it, 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 it's being gentle even when we can be harsh with somebody. Paul told young Timothy, and the Lord's servant must in Second Timothy chapter two, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone. There's that everyone again. You know, God, Lord, come on. Able to teach or teachable, not resentful. Opponents must gently must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Be gentle. When, if you, even if you have a disagreement, be gentle. Third, we set our eagles aside and stay in the bond of peace when we're patient. When we're patient. Let's a, read a list of what patience is. Patience is a long-suffering attitude towards aggravating people. Patience means being willing to endure each other's imperfections. A person is patient when they refuse to retaliate when they've been offended. Patience is the opposite of being short-tempered with people. Patience is putting off judgment until we have all the information. Patience is strength and emotion under control and not losing it. Being patient towards each other keeps us from overreacting to matters that upset us. Patience keeps us from fussing, fuming, and fighting back when or saying something we shouldn't or in a way we shouldn't. And we definitely need the Holy Spirit to be patient, don't we? It is one of the fruits of the Spirit. We, I'll tell you, if you want to stay unified, you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then bearing with one another in love—that's the fourth way we deal with our egos and remain in unity in the bond of peace. Um, bearing with one another, love kind of has the same idea as patience, a little bit. But it's an attitude that is willing to overlook the idiosyncrasies of others. Let's face it, everybody—there's there are people in every church that just irk us, right? It might be the way they look, or act, or talk, or smell, or they chew their gum with their mouth open or some silly thing. Or even more serious, they irk us. And that's, the, that's just like a family. And this gets the people that get under our skin. But bearing with one another in love enables us to overlook those idiosyncrasies that bother us. In fact, Paul told the believers at Colossia. And above all these things put on love which binds everything together in perfect unity. And he gives us a list in his love chapter of what this means. So we're not just thinking love is just some kind of ethereal feeling kind of thing. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, or patience again, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it doesn't dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and it always perseveres. And when we do that and we lay our egos aside, there's gonna be unity in the spirit in the bond of peace. So how do you keep the bond of peace? Well, you you, live, you and I live up to our calling. We set our egos aside. Third, we serve using our spiritual gifts. You're going to be surprised, I, I, I promise you, with what I'm about to read to you. You're going to be surprised. Look at verse 7 in Ephesians 4. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That's why we, it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train, and he gave gifts to men. What does he ascended, that is resurrected, mean except that he also descended, his incarnation, to the lower earthly regions, earth. He who descended, came to earth, is the very one who ascended after the resurrection, higher in all the heavens to fill the whole universe, and was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. Here it is. Here it is. Until we all reach unity in the faith. By serving with our spiritual gifts, unity uh, comes upon a church. For those, maybe you're a young Christian and you don't know what a spiritual gift is, The moment you were saved, the Holy Spirit not only baptized you into Christ, but he gave you a gift or plural gifts that are uniquely tailored to your personality and your makeup and your abilities. A divine gift, a divine want to, is something you enjoy doing to serve in the church, to build the church up, and unify it. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. Every Christian plays a part in completing the picture. Okay. And each piece plays a part in the puzzle. And without each piece, the puzzle is incomplete. At salvation Christ gave each of us as Christians a gift or gifts to help complete the picture and purpose of the local church. No Christian is unnecessary in the local church. Not one now, there's a list of gifts given here in verse 11. They are what is commonly called the equipping gifts, gifts given to people to equip the body to, to do the work of the ministry. But there's a whole, there's 1 Corinthians 12, uh, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4. There's a variety of places where gifts are mentioned. Okay. But the point is, is that we are to serve using our gifts. Somebody said this. Collective ministry in the body produces unity. The more of you and I who serve using our gifts, the more unified we'll be. Because we're focusing on serving. Okay? We're not focusing on the differences or weaknesses or irritations of each other, but on serving. And we're happy because we're serving in an area of Natural joy, a divine want to. I was reading about a, um, an, a retired army veteran that was speaking at a Christian conference. And he spoke about the difference between those men who fought on the front lines and compared, the, to, those, compared to those responsible for the rear echelon ministries. And he said that the guys on the front lines didn't complain much. They were too busy fighting the enemy. Camaraderie was built quickly because people had to work together. It was a matter of life and death. So they took their objectives and strategies seriously. Successful execution was imperative. Little things like how good the food tasted didn't matter. What matters was that that they were still alive to eat the food. But once you got a few miles back, behind the front, attitudes changed drastically back there griping was a way of life men complained about everything the food the weather the commanding officers something was wrong with everyone and everything and so it is with the local church those who are involved serving in their god-given areas of strength okay those are the ones They're bringing unity to the church. Those who are not involved are the ones that are sitting back and complaining and sniping and picking and lobbing grenades from a distance because they're not using the gifts that God has given them to serve. Serving with our gifts provide unity in the church. And we're all gifted with something. Don't you ever listen to anybody say you're not gifted. You... Collectively, as Christians, are all gifted. You have an essential role to play in this wonderful church to serve. Okay? And you can make it even more wonderful. And God expects you to use them, and he'll hold you and I accountable for using them. But on the positive side of it, there's something we want to do. It's just there. And we need to go after that and increase the sense of unity. And then finally, wrapping it up. We keep the the bond of peace, the unity of spirit and the bond of peace when we speak the truth in love. Again, you're going to be surprised. Look at verse 15. Um, I'll read it to you, verses 15 and 16. This was a surprise to me. Um, Instead, speaking the truth in love we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom, from him rather, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What happens when we speak the truth and love to each other? We grow together. We unify. I found a good little story about this. I hope you enjoy it about speaking the truth and also in love. A little boy on a farm illustrated the concept of speaking the truth and love. One day the pastor came to visit and was sitting in the living room visiting with the little boy's mother. And the preacher was seated in a corner chair so that the boy did not see him as he came running into the room with a rat by the tail. The boy said, Mama, I found this rat and I hit him with a board, and then I threw him against the barn, and then I kicked him, and then I stomped him. And at that moment, out of the corner of his eye, the boy caught a glimpse of the preacher, and so he turned to the preacher and continued, continued. and then, Pastor, the Lord called him home. <laughs> That's kind of speaking the truth in love, isn't it? I, I just wanted to tell that story. I'll just be right up honest with you. I love that story. Had to find an excuse, and it worked well enough to shoehorn it into that point, okay? But now we're told, to, as, he, as we conclude this message today, as we move into the home stretch, how to do all of this, how to pull it off, speak the truth in love, Okay? Speaking the truth in love is how we're commanded to deal with each other when we disagree. Again, it's not the church is not a place without disagreements. How you deal with them is the essence of keeping unity. Now, what does it mean to speak the truth in love? Listen closely, okay? Speaking the truth in love means that when speaking to other Christians, especially in times of conflict or confrontation, never let your truth be Be unloving and never let your love be untruthful. Never let your truth be unloving. You can tell the truth, but never let your love be untruthful, okay? We maintain biblical standards of truth, but we enforce those with a spirit of love. So that means building each other up and not tearing each other down. We speak to restore, not to rip the person apart. We don't tell them off. We talk graciously to them. We, we confront, but we do it caringly. And if we don't speak the truth in love, you and I have no right to say anything to anybody at any time. See, that's what tears the church apart. Well, let's break it down. first word to speak it means face-to-face. No emails, Facebook, phone call, texting. No anonymous notes. No go between, second parties, gossip, and runs innuendos, immature behavior. Face to face is the biblical model. Matthew chapter 18, and all over the place. Number two or speak the truth, not hearsay, conjecture, lies, rumors, personal opinions, imaginations, misconceptions misperceptions, misunderstandings, or misinformation, but the truth. And we're to speak it in love. If we want to be adamant proponents of the truth, fine and dandy, but we have to have a sweet spirit of love when we tell it, or we're out of order in the local church. Otherwise, we get harsh, intolerant, self-righteous, defensive, adversarial, impatient, and we divide rather than unite. But again, got to tell the truth. Don't avoid the truth or we get soft and we don't grow through constructive criticism. So you need both truth and both love to keep the bond of peace. what happens when we speak the truth in love? Unity. Unity. Okay. I'm convinced that this church's best days are still ahead. There's great people here. You got great preaching. I've snuck some sermons off the internet from Pastor Dan. (laughs) This guy's a good preacher. Boy, did we ever learn that when we first left Cedar Home and we kind of had to walk, go through some other churches and hear the preaching. Man, you got good preaching here, good people, great leaders, great facility, great opportunities all around you. But you gotta walk. Together. We have to walk together in unity, or none of that even matters. Are you eager to guard, protect, and do your part? Am I to to protect the spiritual unity that God's already given us because of our oneness in Christ? Will you do whatever is necessary on your part to get along, even if it means forgetting about yourself and myself? Are we committed not to let anything mar the unity of this wonderful church? Remember, it's a dangerous thing to wound or divide the body of Christ. Paul told the Galatians, if you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So what should we do? This is what I want you to stick in your hip pocket as you walk out of here right now. Romans 15, 5, and 6 has a fascinating statement here, and I'll close with this. May the God who gives endurance. Is that up by the screen behind me, by the way? Romans fifteen, five, and six. Okay, maybe I didn't give it to Tamara, Tamara. But let me just read it to you, Romans fifteen, five and six. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ let's pray every day for a holy awesome sense of God's unity here at Cedar Home Church amen and and watch what God does He'll, okay amen yeah Now you know why I'm so comfortable out of those stuff. Just like you, you know. We're not talking about peace at any price here. We're not doing that. We don't tolerate certain immorality, a lack of proper ethics, false teaching. We don't do that. But we're told to live at peace with one another whenever possible. The best days are ahead. Okay. Let's each do our part to stay united and fulfill Psalm 133.1, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. And Father, thank you that when we were saved, we were baptized into the body of Jesus, we're called. We are blood-bought. We are resurrected in the Spirit. We are new creations in Christ. Every sin that we ever have, are, or ever will commit has already been dealt with through the shed blood of Jesus. We are, as Paul said, holy in your sight without blemish and free from accusation. And we're one with each other. Help that to be lived out in these coming days so that the mission that has been stated earlier uh, this morning by Pastor Brent and, and Dan Pastor Dan will come to fruition uh, through our unity. We love you, and we thank you for the privilege of being Christians in Jesus' name. we pray. Amen.